Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you this morning. You've heard me say this a lot, and I'll continue to say it. Every time we teach the Word, whether it's a new series or just the next lesson in a long series, it always strikes me, this is the most important thing you need to know. Have you ever noticed that? The emphasis is always, this is it, if you would. Now, first of all, there's nothing like that in the Word of God, essentially. But I do believe that there is something that is it, if you would. And that is the very general category of what we might call the doctrine of God. The study of the person of God himself. I don't think there's anything more central or fundamental to who we are as human beings and especially as God's people. As an understanding and experience of who this God is before whom we have to do. You remember that's quoted somewhere to somebody, by somebody, to someone. And so here we are in a new series studying the love of God. It was not something I anticipated doing. It's not something I did not want to do. I just wasn't on the radar, but there it is. And so I think last week was the first week of it. Was the last week the first? And we're beginning the study of the Word of God with this word that most of you had not heard until last week, although now maybe many of you are familiar with the word aseity. I know all of us could give a definition of aseity if you were here last week. So I say this in preparation this morning. I don't know how to emphasize this more because the class is, what, about a third or half full of what it typically is. And when we sent out the emails to all the people who have attended School of the Word, there are 337 people on that email list. So there are a lot. And that, that overwhelmed me. I thought maybe there were 250. And so many are going to be coming and going and missing for various reasons. But let me please plead with you. As we study the love of God, we're going to be studying other issues about God, not exhaustively because, first of all, I don't have the ability to do that. And you say the Holy Spirit gives it to us. Yeah, but he doesn't give us exhaustive ability to study the exhaustive knowledge of God. (laughs) Please let me plead with you. What we're going to be saying about the love of God is going to be very much connected to and foundationed in all of the preparatory teaching. And so if you missed last week, please listen. What is it, online? Is that how they say it nowadays? I used to say listen to the tape. Listen, get the app or whatever that means. Okay, please stay up so you'll understand what we're talking about. Okay, I just want to make that plea to you. Secondly, there are all kinds of people in here that you know, your friends who come here are not here today. 
be aggressive with them. Let our aggressiveness not only be for Alpha and for the cantata, but let it also be for the study of the Word of God every Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being here. So you remember last week we began our study of God's love by anchoring our study of God's love in the aseity of God. Now, your notes, you see that. And I'm using this word because it is a word that is typically used among theologians and those who discuss and understand somewhat the study of the word of God. But it's good for us to know terms like this. What does the word aseity mean? Remember, it has to do with what? God's self-existence as God. That God has life in himself. That God has no beginning and no ending. That before anything was, God is. Now, don't you say was. Because if you say God was, you put God in a time context, and God is not to be construed or understood within a time context. We experience God within a time context, but our understanding of God is apart from a context of time if we are to understand something of his essential nature. Do we see the difference? We experience him in time, but he whom we experience is outside of time. But our time experience of him is that which affects us. And so we must make sure if we're going to understand this God who in 1 John 4, 8 and 16 is said to be God is love, that we must understand something of the uncreatedness of God. Amen? We must understand some of these fundamentals. Otherwise, what we do, we set and lock down our understanding and therefore our experience and our relationship with God of his love within some context that is too much of our own making and of the world's activities. You do see that. So we want to make sure that we see the love of God way, 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 way apart from anything of the created order. And see it set in this eternal being. And even the word eternal is a time frame because God creates eternal when he creates time. But it is the best we can do with our terminology to to see God's love in the context of the non-beginning and non-ending, the self-life, uncreated, always existing God himself. Correct? That's where we must understand the love of God, or we'll miss it by a mile, if you would. And so this aseity of God, we saw this in Exodus 3.14. Remember when God introduces himself to, uh, who was it? Did you see the movie? What was it? Moses. Remember that? Moses. He's calling Moses to do a great thing. And Moses wants to know, who are you? 
Are you a local deity? You know, I'm, I'm from Egypt. Hey, we got gods all over the place. We have gods, you know, we have them here, there, uh, uh, gods of, of this, that, and the other thing. And every one of their gods, every god in the pagan world, every god in the pagan world, every god at the time of the writing of Genesis was a god that was associated to some degree in some way and even termed or named as to or after something in or of the creation. There was no understanding that there is a God outside of creation. Every God had to do and was connected to the created order. This was the religion and still is, I suppose, of paganism, especially rampant during the days of Genesis. And so when this word is written by Moses under the inspiration of God's spirit. And Moses begins by presenting this God as existing before anything was. This is nuts. Are you with me? It absolutely demolishes anything and everything of the pagan order. Where did he get this concept? It was not a human concept or understanding or theology or practice in those days. He was just lucky. Right, Andy? Just lucky. And you know I use that term tongue-in-cheek because that's a demonic term. Don't you ever say luck. That is a demonic term giving Satan the glory. Every time you say lucky or luck, you give Satan the glory. Can you say amen? So put the word out of your mind. Nothing is luck. That's not even on the notes today. God's aseity is also affirmed in the Old Testament with the use of the word. Did we do this last week? Everlasting or the word eternal. Some translations say everlasting. Some will use the word eternal. We're going to use them interchangeably. God's aseity. What does aseity mean again? What does it mean again? His self-life. Who he is in himself. Who he is of his own essence of his own nature, his self-life, his uncreated life. God's aseity is affirmed in the Old Testament with the use of the word everlasting or eternal, which emphasizes God's self-existence as having no beginning or ending. So remember in Genesis 17, 7, God is elaborating on the covenant that he has called Abraham into in Genesis chapter 12, God, over the next several chapters, is enlarging and elaborating on the understanding and the effect and the significance of this covenant. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, the Lord says that he is going to make an everlasting covenant with Abraham. Okay, an everlasting covenant. Okay, now we read that word, and how many of us have ever stopped and said, Oh, my God. Word, look at this word, everlasting. We typically don't see the word that way. And because of that, we miss so much of the person of God in the word. Ask the Holy Spirit to cause you to see God in these words. Not just everlasting this and eternal that. I'm going to make you an everlasting covenant. That was impossible 
in those days to understand any covenant because gods were making covenants. Nations were making covenant with one another. Covenant was a very common practice of relational control and dominance and so on. Do you know that, don't you? And so this everlasting, there was no way anybody could make an everlasting covenant. Every covenant in those days was having to do with the power and the authority that you had. And if you didn't get overrun and conquered by somebody else, and if you didn't die, and then every covenant in those days was associated and centered in something of time. Do we understand that? This is absolutely unique. Unique. Oh, I know I spend time on some of this, but I just, there is an urge in me for us to see this being, this transcendent God in all of these terms. It's not just a long covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. He says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant. And you can imagine Abraham thinking, how long will it last? Will it last until I have a son? Will this covenant be able to keep us going forward? Do do you see it? Do you see it? I'm going to establish my covenant. What kind of covenant am I going to establish? An everlasting covenant. And when God says the word everlasting, he sets his purpose, his decision, his promise, his guarantee of this covenant within the context of his self-existence. Do we see that? Why? Because God is also called what the covenant is called the one who's called I'm sorry I'm getting ahead of my he's called the everlasting God and so when he says I'm going to make a covenant with you Abraham this is not a short-term thing this covenant viability and trustworthiness dependability is not set in or is Affected by, may I say it again, this covenant is not set in or affected by anything of the created order. Having nothing essentially to do with Abraham, with Abraham's decision, with Abraham's ability, with Abraham's whatever, his mom and them, his children or anything else. This covenant is given and established Because God himself decides to do it and it is established and it is as firm and lasting as God himself is. Does that help you any of? Does that help you a little bit? That's what this covenant is. When that word everlasting or eternal, that's what it means. This is a covenant that had no beginning and it has no ending. This is a covenant that was in the heart and the mind and the purpose of God before Genesis 1-1. And does that begin to speak to you about the love of God? Does it? It begins to anchor the love of God where? Not in my experience and what I do if I don't do, how many times I'm going to do it or why I didn't do it or if somebody's going to help me in it. But it anchors the love of God where? <clears throat> in the aseity of God. 
And the reason we are pushed around and stomped around, I'm not going to get through this today. Because we don't understand that the love of God is as eternal or everlasting as God himself is. The love of God is as enduring as who? God himself. You see, in this way, the Lord was affirming that his covenant with Abraham would never come to an end. Do you notice it didn't say Abraham, you know, if you don't mess up too many times. Did you see that? Do you see that the covenant that God established with Abraham was independent of Abraham as a person and of Abraham's actions? Do we see that? Can you say amen? I need to know if you see it or not. This covenant was in the heart of God, is in the heart of God, has always been in the heart of God, and always will be where? In the heart of God. And that which is in the heart of God does not and cannot change. Otherwise, God ceases to be who he is. Which we'll talk about later on. This covenant as an everlasting covenant is anchored. God has anchored its creation and purpose in his own aseity. Now, before we go on and talk a little bit more about this. Let's take a moment. I've already done so, but let's take a moment. And I want to follow my notes on this. Hopefully, I don't want to miss something I'm supposed to say. Take a moment to consider the relationship of God's love to his society as the everlasting God. Just think for a moment. Stop and think. We do not want to make this class a class on the attributes of God as individual and distinct attributes disassociated from one another. We want to make it as a presentation, hopefully by the Holy Spirit, if the teacher will be understanding and speaking clearly enough that all of this is a unity in God. All of these attributes exist in God simultaneously and equally. And so when we talk about the aseity of God, let's make sure that we connect the love of God to his aseity. So listen to Jeremiah 33, 31, 3. He says what? I have loved you. Now, whom is he talking to? His people. What people? What people? His covenant people. What covenant people? All who are in Christ before the birth of Jesus and after the birth of Jesus. All of his new covenant people. All of those who are part of his what? Everlasting covenant he's talking to. And he says this. I have loved you with what kind of love? What kind of love? Everlasting. Now, for a moment. What does everlasting say? This is God's aseity. I have loved you with myself. With love that is who I am. With love that is not connected to anything in you or about you. I have loved you because I am the God who is love. And I have chosen freely 
without any requirement external to myself, to place my love upon you. We need to let it soak in. Because as fleshly human beings, anybody in here not a fleshly human being? As fleshly human beings, we are not incurably, but almost incurably, we almost incurably associate love with ourselves and something about us and its activity in relation to our good stuff and its cessation or diminishing in association with what? Our bad stuff. Am I right? And we associate love with how we're treated and what people think of us. And we, we lock down and associate God's love because that's how we associate love. We lock down and set God's love within the context of creation. Do we see it? That's wrong. That's wrong. God's love has nothing to do essentially with creation. It is the reason for creation, but it is not essential to the creation. Do we see that? By using the word everlasting love, what is the Lord telling us about his love for us? By using the adjective everlasting to describe his love for us, the Lord is affirming that his love is an essential attribute of his being as God. Therefore, his love for us is an everlasting love. Why? Because he is the unending, unbeginning, everlasting God. By anchoring his love in and to his aseity, God is affirming that his love for us is as enduring as he is without beginning or without ending. That his love for us is not set in us because of anything about us intrinsically. That is, because I did this or because I did that or because I believe in Jesus, therefore he loves me. No, he loves me, therefore what? I believe in Jesus. Why does God love us? Because God is love. You can't say any more than that and be theologically accurate. Hmm? Why does God love you? Why does God love you? You know, if you ask the average Christian that, he's going to start giving you a whole stuff about something, this and that, right? He's going to give you all these answers. Okay, we understand. Those are secondary answers. In fact, they're almost non-essential answers to the, to the uh, truth. What is the truth? Why does God love you, Miguel? Well, say it out, out loud. You See because he's love, he said. You did say that, didn't you, in Spanish? You better say that. I'm not, you know. Danny, why does God love you? Danny, why, why does God love you? Can't hear you. Now, now, if I ask your husband, can you speak louder than that? He's going to say, oh, yes. She has the ability to speak. Why does God love you, girl? God is love. 
Bridget, why does God love you? Because God is love. Nate, why does God love you? Can't hear you. God is love. Are we beginning to see it? I take my time here because I feel constrained by the Holy Spirit to say, slow down, old man, because there's something of a very essential, fundamental issue. We must allow the truth of God to so permeate our souls, our hearts and our minds, our motives, our desires, our thinking, our actions, our everything, to liberate us from the continuing bondage of self-love, which relegates God's love and puts it within the context of something in or about or for me. Debbie, do you see that? Eddie? Warren, why does God love you? Because God is love. If you say any more than that, it may not be incorrect, but that's all you need to say. That's all you need to say. This means that when we read that, Gen- that God loves us, remember... 1 John 3, 1, the apostle is talking about the fellowship with God and continuing that with, as we walk with the Lord. And his blood cleanses us from all sin. And those who, you know, in Christ do not continue to commit sin. You, you remember the Then all of a sudden in chapter 3, verse 1, he's, oh, how does it begin? I forgot. See what love the Father has, what? bestowed or lavished or poured out upon us that we we that we he repeats it that we we should be called what the children of God and such we are this man as he is being led by the Holy Spirit to teach and instruct and lead the church is given maybe in a moment's flash a vision of God's love, of this God who is love. And it just overwhelms him. And in these first three verses of chapter 3, he just has to gush out with this doxology, you know, this, this statement of worship. Oh, this God, this God, this God. Look at him. And this God has set his love in us. That should humble us to the floor. No wonder when John saw the exalted Jesus in Revelation, he fell to the ground because he sees the incarnation, the visible reality of God's love in a man. And he says, and he falls to the ground. He falls to the ground. So to summarize, what does God's aseity tell us about his love? 
God's aseity tells us that because his love is an essential attribute of his being as God, without it, he is not God. His love for us has no what? It has no boundaries. It has no boundaries. Do you believe that? You see, when I say that, what? Stop it. When I say that, some are thinking, yeah, but. Come on. Some are thinking, yeah, but. And we want to touch something of our actions. Now, is that the truth or not? Did the Lord just show me that or not? Are there some of us who thought that or not? Yeah, but. You see, the flesh says, yeah, but. And when you say, you put that but in there, the devil is on the butt. <laughs> well, the devil's on the butt. And the moment you say, yeah, but, as far as an essential quality or attribute of God in residence in us, we begin to deprecate, dissolve, flush down, whatever. God's love to our own being. And that becomes an idolatrous love. So how did I just start that statement? God's love has no what? Boundaries as to us and our behavior. Yeah, but what about... Come on, come on. Come on. How many of you just thought that? What about... Am I the only one that, that thought flashed to my mind? Yeah, but what about anybody else? Thank you, Ron. Well, sure it did. I know who, how you are. You know how you are? We're human beings. Most of us are, Linda. <laughs> Linda knows that. She's just knowing a few who are not human beings in here. Look, look. God's love is essential to his being. As the self-existent God. So where is God's love set essentially? Where is it? In himself. It is given to us and shared with us. And residential in us. But not because of us. But because he is love. Do we begin to see how the aseity of God begins to massively inform and strengthen and enlarge our understanding of his love. Hopefully it is. God's aseity tells us that he loves us with an everlasting love. Why? Because God is love. He is the everlasting God and his everlasting love is who he is in himself. God is love in himself. What I have here, what security, what grace, what love. If you have been being, if you have been being bounced around this last week or whatever length of time by wondering, worrying, about God's love in you and how long and what if and all of those. And you are a believer. 
can you begin to disassociate and disconnect the viability and the strength and the durability of God's love from your becoming? Remember becoming? We're becomings. We're not beings. Only God is the one being. We're becoming. From our becomings into God's being. Because the only way to be matured by God's love is to increasingly see, understand, and experience God's love as who he is. Then, as that happens by the power and revelation of the Holy Spirit, remember Romans 5, 5, for the, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been what? Given to us. And as the Holy Spirit does that, our obedience is touched. Our disobedience is touched. Our worries and fears are what? Touched. Everything about us is touched by the love of God. So that we are being conformed into the image of the Son of God's love. Romans 8.29, and I added a little bit to it. You will forgive me if you don't like that. You see, in our first session, we saw the Bible opens with God's aseity in Genesis 1.1. Remember that? In the beginning. What does that mean? Before anything was, God was his aseity. But you see, the Bible not only opens with God's love, but it ends with God's love. I'm sorry, God's aseity. It ends with what? God's aseity. Remember in Revelation? John is in the heavens. Remember that? And in Revelation John 1.4, John grounds his message to the churches. Remember, he's writing messages or letters, if you would, to the churches. And he says this, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from what? Him who is and who was and who is to come. That is a statement of Exodus 3.14. Who are you? I am who I am. I am who was who is, and who is to come. Well, if God's aseity, if God has no time, why did he say that? Because he said it that way so we could have a better understanding within the time context of the, in, of the durability of this God, right? He puts it in a context that we can understand it. So when the Lord says, I am who is, who was, and who is to come, he is saying, I am the God who is self-existent. I am the God of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. I am the everlasting God. And then in verse 8, John records the words of God himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then in Revelation twenty-two thirteen, it closes with the aseity of God being stated by Christ himself. I am. Remember Genesis three fourteen. I am. I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning, Genesis 1-1. Did you see that Genesis 1-1 was right there in the beginning? Genesis 1-1 is at the end, and it's at the beginning. So you see, Jesus knew how to teach the Bible. He knew that Genesis was most important. It's the most important book in the Bible. Why? Because it explains and sets forth everything about God and his purpose. 
the rest of it. After chapter 3, actually after chapter 3, verse 6, is an elucidation of the outwork of this God who is to the accomplishment of his is purpose. (laughs) Of his is purpose. We're now ready to look at some of the divine attributes. As we do, as we begin to look at some of these divine attributes, our purpose is to show how each of the attributes mentioned informs our understanding of God's kind of love. We are not studying the attributes independent of one another. That should never, ever, 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 ever be done. But we're studying these attributes specifically in relation to this attribute of God's love. This means that our understanding of God's love must always be informed by what? All of his attributes. One of the big problems in the church in teaching and preaching perhaps sometimes is this. That the love of God is emphasized in relation to one attribute more than the other attributes. And that is a misunderstanding of God's aseity. There's no such thing as God's love being more informed by one attribute than another attribute, which makes now the attributes in more or less importance to one another, where each attribute is as essential to the being of God as each other, every other attribute. Can you say amen? There's no such thing as that attribute is the most important. Holiness is the most important. No, no. It is love that is more. No, no. It's all of them collectively, simultaneously, equally significant because they are all of the essence of God. So we can certainly look at the love of God in relation to the omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, immutability of God. But we must look at the love of God, not only at each one of those, but each one of them, then collectively look at the love of God within the total understanding of the attributes, at least that we'll study. And we certainly won't study them all. This means that our understanding of God's love must always be informed by all of his attributes, since they are collectively, equally, and simultaneously intrinsic to his nature. Any attempt to dislocate or to diminish or whatever God's love from any of his attributes, robs his love of its essential meaning as God is love. Do we see that? And you see it all the time. We emphasize this part of God's love. Not that that is wrong, but to the exclusion of the others. It's a misapplication of the love of God. And it's one of the main reasons why there's so much confusion in the church and in our personal lives as to God's love in me and its function and its durability and its, its purpose. Only in this way can we begin to better understand and appreciate the truth and the wonder of God's love as we contemplate his love within the context of his being as the God who is. So this morning, I just hope this last lesson probably about God's aseity specifically, although that will be a theme running through the rest of the lessons, that at least this understanding basically has helped us to begin to see God's love to be much more clearly centered in, associated with, essential to him.
This is the love that has been placed in our hearts. And the God who places it into our hearts is the God whose love in us is as durable as God himself. Can you say amen? His love in me, his love, his essence in me is as durable as he himself is. Let this be a security and a maturing act, understanding for this week as we go forward. See you next week.